Subtle skills, big results. Welcome to the Ninja Selling Podcast. Welcome back to the Ninja Selling Podcast. Garrett and Matt are with you once again, and we are joined by an incredible audience here today, which is very unlike podcasts that we've done in the past and episodes that we've done in the past, Matt. So this is going to be fun. This is going to be amazing. And so I guess we'll first say thank you to Princeton Mortgage for hosting us here in Charleston. We got a great space here and we have about, I'd say about 30 people here. It's 60. It's 60. 60 people here, which is awesome. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And we are also joined by Matt's daughter. Yes, Victoria is up here with me as well, which is fun. So if you hear a little voice in the background, that's probably That's just cuteness. That's all that is. It's just pure cuteness up here with us. Not you, Matt. Victoria. Well, Garrett, we usually do like a whole bunch of intro stuff, but I think we can pass on that for this one because we have a great like question and answer episode since we have an audience here with us today, many of which submitted some questions online. And we thought maybe we'd start with somebody had asked about how to manage a mindset in this market, staying motivated, particularly with this shift or change or however we want to put it. Yeah. And I think this is an interesting, it's a great question because we're all dealing with this right now. And, you know, with all the people that we coach, Matt, we find people consistently that are trying to get their mindset properly for the day. And, you know, you get the media, you get your office sometimes, you get all kinds of things that will come and get in your way that all of a sudden your mind is going down a track that is not really beneficial for you providing the best service for your clients, the best energy for the people that are around you. It is a definite need to take that step back in the mornings and get yourself grounded. Yeah. Yeah. The morning routine is so super important. I think we just did an episode, I think it was just published today or well, no, today's Tuesday, yesterday on Monday about like maintaining your health and all that stuff. And, and your physical health and mental health are so f- combined. And that morning routine gets your physical self ready, gets your mindset ready. And I think when you look at, we were having this conversation actually today with, there's a lot of negative slants on how you can look at things. Like if you look at like, oh, don't lose, watch out, this is going wrong versus what can you win? Here's opportunity. Here's what you can gain. And if we look at things differently, the mindset can start to shift too. The question we actually saw came from another area and it was part of it was what would have to happen this year to make you not want to quit the business? And I was like, whoa, like, okay. So we're coming at this already from a very different place than we want to be, you know, attempting to like get us in the best place possible, bring the best energy possible. So it's interesting. So I do want to point out, so we are sitting here in front of a live audience, which is super fun. And a lot of us just spent a lot of time over the last two days. We have two more days to go of going through an installation. And you know, one of the things that came up over and over again over the two days was how do you start your day and having that morning routine and getting yourself started on the right foot. So personally for me, gratitude is probably one of the, the biggest things in today's world right now to get yourself grounded and centered and at least bring the right energy coming right up front. Oh, I agree. I think gratitude's, well, as, as I've said on many, many times, my favorite quote from Dr. Joe Dispenza, gratitude is the ultimate state of receivership. And we have so many things to be grateful for. Today's an interesting day. Today's election day. So how many people have seen negative political ads over the past week? And everybody's hands go, how many people have seen positive political ads? One person, <laughs> two people, two people have seen positive. That's, and that's, that's awesome. telling we right, should have but, more of that. But right? that's telling right there, one and, hand. And so I think you combine this like shift that's going on with an election cycle. It's easy to then look at all the things that are wrong and that we're not grateful for when there is so much stuff that we are grateful for. And if we start with that, your mindset shifts and you're ready to handle this market. So we had gratitudes today, affirmations. What's the other one? Positive reading. Oh, we'll go with that. We'll do that. <laughs> so bring all that stuff into your world. But I think that in this time today, and again, I, I always go back, be real careful who you're hanging around. You know, it's really easy to walk in and attach yourself to someone that's going to take you down the rabbit hole of weird stuff. Yeah. Well, I think once you get the mindset stabilized, that leads into a couple of questions on here that led into like, how do you then set goals and hold yourself accountable? Because, okay, I got the mindset right. Now, what do I do? Like, how many people here are always wondering, okay, if I set a goal, one, how do we do that? Two, how do I make sure that I stay on track to hit that goal? Does anybody struggle with that? Okay, about half, half. Well, I have a question too. How many of you have heard somebody so far this year say that they're going to adjust their goal down based on what they're seeing happen in the economy? 
I keep hearing that one come up over and over again. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa stop. Like, we're not in next year yet. Like, we don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know what this is going to look like. So why are we planning on next year to be worse than the year we just had? Yeah. And why set the bar lower? How many people hit their goal every single year? Okay. One person. Just Tracy. One, <laughs> Tracy. By the way, the Which perfectionist awesome. in the group. Yeah. So if we already know that we don't hit our goal every year and we set our goals big, why would we then reduce that, you know, landing on the stars moment? That doesn't seem like a good thing to do. I'm a big believer in you know, set the big goals. And, you know, no matter what happens, always be striving for those goals, always be going for them. And if you, know, you have a year that you come in a little bit low, just know it's a great goal. We're still striving for it. We're still making ourselves better every day. We're still raising the bar. It's not a, I didn't get it. I failed. I should go quit and go do something else. It's no, no. We learned a lot. We grew a lot. And let's figure out what the next steps are. Yeah. And so I think if you set a nice big goal, then the next step is the accountability. And for me, having an accountability partner is a huge thing. And whether that's an official accountability partner or some way that like you just kind of check in with people, it's a really easy way to kind of keep you motivated, right? So think about going to the gym, right? Does anybody have like a, a gym partner or people that you see at a gym? Okay, many of you. How much does that motivate you to get to go to the gym? A lot right? Yeah. Because I don't want to let that person down. They're expecting me. And like, if I don't show up, they may not show up the next time and I don't want to work out alone. And so just having a partner to share in the activities that you set to accomplish that goal, I think that's a big part of it. How many of you have unofficial accountability partners? Like I know it's, it's one thing to like officially go and say, will you be my accountability partner? A whole bunch of hands just went up because I know in my world, I don't have an official like are you going to hold me accountable? I'll hold you accountable. I try to surround myself with people that just expect me to show up at a higher level, which that naturally turns into an accountability partner. Luckily, Matt gives me a lot of leeway. But all in all, like I think of my wife and my friends and everybody, and they would not allow me to show up as less. Yeah. So I think it's a good thing to surround yourself with those types of people. And having somebody who can be honest with you. I think if you guys do develop an official accountability partner, which I also recommend, give each other the permission to be honest with each other and say, hey, you're not showing up. You're not doing the things. You said you wanted to do this and you're not doing it. So maybe us meeting to go over this is a waste of time, which is hard to hear. My wife is really good at that, by the way. How does it go the other way around? No, she does a great job. <laughs> Always an amazing job. Yeah, I, I gather that. So that's where I'd go. Any other, any other questions or thoughts on accountability? Any questions about, from you guys about accountability? David Basilow, why don't you come up to the mic, sir? Oh, yeah, we need your voice. This is the beauty about having a live audience. Just for the group, just if you can differentiate when we're not talking about coaching accountability, we're talking about something that's separate. So in other words, for all of us that are coached, we're talking about a separate accountability partner. Yeah, I think yeah. it's we're talking about you know all the different levels that you can have in your life of having somebody that's going to hold you accountable, whether it's at the gym, whether it's anywhere. Currently right now, if you're listening to the podcast, David Basil just spilled a beer everywhere. At least tell everybody what market he's in so he can, he can oh, get David some benefit. Oh, David Basla is in Eugene, Oregon. I've talked about David Basla many times. He's an incredible agent who's just got me a brand new beer, which he's very grateful. So thank you, sir. So yes, accountability partner is different than having a coach or a manager. A mentor could kind of be an accountability partner, I'd say, but it definitely a coach is a whole different thing. Yeah, totally different. All right. Any other questions on accountability? Yes. Ray. So Ray asked, what are the three top qualities you're looking for an accountability partner? Ray, where, where are you located? Richmond, Virginia. What's your last name, Ray? Ray Ferguson, Richmond, Virginia. I'm going to answer your question in a weird way here. So I would say, first off, is you need to be very careful that the accountability partner you pick doesn't turn into a saboteur. Uh, accountability partners very quickly can be saboteurs in your life. And you'll know you have a saboteur when you don't do what you're going to do. And they go, you know what? I totally understand because I've seen that before. And that's a really tough week. Go out and just try again next week. And you go back out next week and you try it again. And they go, yeah, I understand. I got a dog too. And my dog got sick a couple of years ago too. And hey, you know what? Go do it again. And you don't want that person that's going to let you off the hook all the time. It's about saying, what did you not do? What got in the way? How are you going to do it next time? So that when that situation comes up, you can be successful moving forward. So my biggest one is, is that if you find yourself with a saboteur, get away from them as fast as possible and go find someone who's a true accountability partner. It's awesome. That's not three things though. 
Well, I mean, three things. You want somebody who is as motivated as you or more. You want somebody who's walking a similar path that you're walking. So if we're talking the ninja path, somebody who's excited about doing the similar things that you're doing and somebody who's positive. That goes to the saboteurs. Like if you're positive, like that's what you want. If you get together with people, think about the famous, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, right? So if your accountability partner is not somebody that you would want to be someday, then you're going to be spending a lot of time with that person. So just make sure it's somebody that you want to spend a lot of time with. That's a really good point. I think it's finding somebody, and I don't think it's somebody that has to be at a level you want to go to, but they need to have the same dreams and aspirations of the growth that you want to achieve. Uh, I think having somebody that's above you, you're not necessarily, it's not a mutual relationship of accountability, but I know like Matt and I, we are kind of accidental accountability partners. Accidental podcast co-hosts. Because we talk, how many hours do we put in a week together? For the podcast? Just us, just talking, just sharing time, energy, ideas, goals. A lot. Eight hours? Eight. Probably eight hours a week that we share just brainstorming and throwing down ideas and what life could look like and where we're going. And both Matt and I are not at, we're still not where we want to go. Like we have a lot of things that we want to achieve and what we want to accomplish. It's a great mutual relationship to have somebody like that as an accountability partner, accidental accountability partner. Yeah, then you could build on each other, which is good. All right. Shifting gears a little bit, Garrett, this question I think is a good one. And there's probably several different answers for this one. But the question is, what questions should we be asking the consumer today? So I think a great question. You're throwing in my direction. This is great. You get to ask the questions. I, know, I get, I get to be like, interview you. This is wonderful. I think first question is, what are they seeing in the market? I think right now it's, it's a wonderful question to ask. How are you interpreting this market? I hear what are you seeing going on? So that's the question that I would start with right away because uh, there's some real mixed ideas of what's really going on out here right now. And it opens up a great dialogue you can have with somebody of like, if they're assuming the market's crashing and there is no way to buy or sell anymore and they've missed this market, it opens up a great time to sit down and say like, well, let's talk about what the reality is and what's really kind of happening and what we're seeing. Yeah, I think that's great. I'll go to what we were all talking about today, which is Ford questions. I would just ask them about them. We don't need to be asking the, the consumers any gotcha questions or anything like that. Ask them what they're hearing, understand what they're going through. I think the biggest thing is if we can learn more about what they're experiencing in life, then we're going to be able to add value. Because what is the mission of Ninja? Create value. Yeah. How do we create value? That's a good question. Anybody got an idea of how to create value? It's a hard question to answer, right? Because what do we need to know in order to answer that question? We have to know... Ford, Ford. Yeah. So I would say that's the beneficial way to start right there is just take the Ford questions. And the more Ford questions you ask, the more you know about somebody, the more you can help guide them to where they want to go. And you don't know how to guide somebody. You don't know how to give them the right information until you know the path that they're walking down. Um, I mean, take anybody and you ask about somebody's workout routine. I can go to anybody as a fitness coach and be like, well, here, I've got my ideas of how I'm going to help you be in better shape, but it's really different if you want to you know, just create muscle strength, but you don't want muscle mass. If you're trying to be a runner, if you're trying to be a sprinter, if you're trying to be a heavy lifter to somebody that's just going to, I mean, there are so many different goals and you don't know that until you stop and you ask a lot of questions. And sometimes someone's going to need your help with real estate and sometimes they're going to need your help with something completely different. I mean, they're going to basically tell you what value they need. I think that's the coolest part about Ford questions is if you don't know what value to give, just ask more questions and they will tell you what they want. And then all you have to do is go give them what they want, which sometimes is possible and sometimes is not possible. Everybody knows the famous scene from the notebook, Ryan Gosling, tell me what you want. Everybody does not know that. I don't know that. Oh, you don't? No. Oh, well, yeah. Look for pain or pleasure. It was filmed here in Charleston, so... That's probably what it is. Oh, man. <laughs> Jeez. Usually, the older person would be like, I'm dating myself, but you're older than me, so that's your problem. Um, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's, that's a good way to handle it. Well, so a similar question that comes on the back of that, of what questions to ask is how to create urgency for 
people in this marketplace? Because I think that would be the kind of the follow-up. A lot of people have, how many people have buyers or sellers who are waiting till after today because it's election day, waiting for the market to crash, waiting for interest rates to stabilize, waiting for whatever, for aliens to come down from above and present themselves and say that all those UFO stories are true. That I do know about. That's better than the notebook, actually. I'll, I'll take the UFO stories. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think to go down this path with this, I think, I don't think the urgency comes from the marketplace at all. I think if you're looking for how to create urgency for a buyer or a seller in this marketplace right now, it is not about sharing market stats on why you should buy now or why you should sell now. I think if you're if you're looking for that information, Matt, like I think you are going down the wrong path. How many people have ever publicly gone out and created advertising saying now is a really bad time to buy or sell real estate? How many have ever done the opposite and said now is a great time to buy or sell real estate? And everybody's hand should probably be up because I've done it too. I want to try the other one though and see what happens. <laughs> that would be interesting, <laughs> right? Because the fact of the matter is it's always a great time to buy or sell depending on your situation. Urgency comes through life changes. And so if if you remind people why they want to buy and sell and connect the dots for them, then that's what creates the urgency, not the financial situation. I mean, yes, there are some people who now don't have the financial ability to buy real estate and maybe the financial situation turned where they don't want to sell real estate. But if a financial inconvenience is keeping somebody from having the home of their dreams or the lifestyle that they want to live for the next 5, 10, 15, or however many years, that's sad. And we need to figure that out and, and help them work through that so that they can overcome that mindset of the media and the market so that they can achieve what they want. The main energy that's going to cause the urgency is helping them understand the current life that they're living in right now and the life that they're dreaming about or the life that they want to have. And I think the more that... Maybe it's just me getting old. You t you said I was old a second ago, so I'm trying to like overcome the. No, the I said you, I said you were older than me. I didn't say you were With, old. Okay, thank you. Just been <laughs> just been backed up by the audience. So I do think when you look at somebody, the urgency is going to come from within them, and the more you can help them figure out where they're at right now to where they're going. And the reason I was saying old, I think that the older you get, you start to realize more of the time that you have and the time that's available to you. And I think the more you can help somebody understand their dreams and where they want to go with the time that they have left to play with, there is an urgency that can come around that. Getting choked up. Do you notice that? I saw that. It's touching. But I think that that's for me is like, I, I'm noticing that in my life right now. You know, I'm in my mid forties and there's definitely that point of like, okay, I got a lot of things I want to do and places I want to see and places I want to live. And I have homes that I want to have. And I have a dream to live on the beach with my wife. And like, you start dreaming about that stuff. And if you have someone that can help you understand those things, that's where the urgency comes from. It's not from a, this is the time to buy, this is the time to sell, because we can always find the reasons why that's not the case. That is really deep. And I think it actually highlights the power of this industry, right? I mean, you think of our role and a lot of times, yeah, sometimes it's tough getting through difficult transactions. And sometimes people are just moving into a house because that's the house that they got to move into right now. But the opportunity that we have in the real estate industry, whether you're an agent, whether you're a lender, title insurance, whatever, is to help people achieve a dream, protect a dream, enhance that dream. Because particularly after 2020, we spend so much time at home. I mean, if you just count sleeping, then you're spending most of your time at home. Yep. But then your conscious time at home, your routines, your morning routines that set you for the day is coming out of your own personal bed, the view you see outside your home, coming home every day from work if you're commuting. I mean, that home signifies so much that we all have the power to touch people and help them through their lives. How many realtors feel like a therapist? How many coaches feel like a therapist? We have coaches in the room. Yeah, because isn't it crazy that helping somebody through a real estate transaction, we get to learn stuff that they don't even tell some of their closest family and friends, right? So that signifies that the opportunity is way more than financial inconvenience in certain circumstances. Yeah, I think we got that one. Yeah. <laughs> so there are several questions here. So we have a whole team here from Divine Real Estate Homes. Welcome. And they've all asked the same question, which is really awesome. This is actually a really good question too. For, and we've talked a little bit about this every now and then for broker owners, but how to be ninja 
as a firm, as a whole, as a team, as a whole. And Mark has figured out how to do that here at Princeton Mortgage too, which I think is really fantastic. We talked to him about that on a podcast episode just a little while back, but Garrett, how would you look into first starting to bring Ninja into a firm? I think up front, you know, it's very easy as a broker or an owner of a company to go out and you learn Ninja and you get this brilliant idea that I want to run back and I want to change my office with it. And the the term that I learned years ago was called sunburning because you come back so bright and so energized and so fired up that the rest of your office goes, I have no idea what Kool-Aid you just went and drank, but I need you to get away from me for a little bit because like you are speaking a language that I don't even recognize. And so you have to be very careful with that. I think as a brokerage is to come back too bright and too shiny because you can just make people kind of run for the hills, which then at that point, it comes into walking the walk or walking the talk. So you come back and you start bringing in all of your energy that you've learned. And I think Mark's done a great job here with his office and talking with him and watching what he's done. It's like, it just became part of the culture of the office. And I think that's the biggest word is culture is that you can start to turn the culture of who you are and what you're about, about what Ninja's all about. All of a sudden, you start attracting in those right people. I think the hardest part is also with a company as you bring it in is you might find people that don't fit that anymore. And the hardest part is saying goodbye to some people. Sometimes we want to hold on to everybody. And there's the right times also to say goodbye to people. That's something that I think a lot of people consider when they're wanting to change a culture piece like that. Yeah. That's a hard one. That's probably the hardest thing that any, because you might have a top producer who's kicking butt. They're bringing in a lot of business, but every other agent doesn't want to be around them. That's lost production. And even though it might be hard to say goodbye, that's something we got to do. But I think even before that, hopefully, maybe we can salvage that sometimes. Like Think about the Ninja 9, right? We do the Ninja 9 with our clients to bring in new business. A lot of companies will do that to go recruiting and attract new business, but they don't do it internally. Writing handwritten notes to your agents, to your team when they accomplish a deal or they do something great or they're hitting their numbers, calling them up if they're not in the office and just having forward conversations with them, showing up in important parts of their lives, celebrating them. That's a huge thing. Like So whenever you think about you want to do for recruiting as a team to bring in new people or as a firm, do that internally first. And then you don't even really have to do the recruiting because your people will go out and do it for you. They'll go out there in a transaction working with somebody in a deal and say, hey, where did you get that or whatever? And you're like, oh, my broker gave that to me. My manager gave that to me. Or, oh, what's it like working at your place? Oh, it's so amazing, this, that, and that. Like Those are the things that then attract new people to build your brokerage. So starting and just infusing what you take in and do that at home with your people, that will be the first step to changing the entire firm. I've seen a lot of individual agents go to installations and they go back to their brokerage at home. And there's no ninja in their brokerage. Like they went as an agent and like their managers don't necessarily practice good companies, not nothing bad. Right. And then like, they just all of a sudden are like, oh my goodness, this is a foreign land. Like there's people aren't practicing this. They feel different because they don't have that support. So as a, as a manager or as a broker owner, that's the best thing you could bring back is just start practicing things internally. And then you'll figure out who's there to stay or who might just kind of fire themselves sometimes. Naturally people are like, wait, I don't want to be part of this. I'm out. I want to do my cold calling and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm good with that. So you might've heard them referred to in offices as crabs. Anybody ever heard that? Like we have a crab in the office. Okay. How many have heard the story of the, the lobsters in a bucket or crabs in a bucket? All right. So what happens is, and it's an actual real thing that if you have put a whole bunch of crabs into a bucket, if one starts to crawl out, the other crabs will pull them back in. It's been studied. And so what happens is, and you can see it in an office is when all of a sudden one person comes in and they start like going, rising up or bringing in different energy, the crabs will all circle and they'll pull that person back down to the lowest common denominator to be like, no, 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 we don't want change. We don't like change. Change is uncomfortable. And uh, you can see it happen real quick. So when you start to grow this and you start to put it in your office, start realizing who the crabs are because they either need to understand what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go, or those are the ones you might have to say, hey, maybe this isn't your place. I do want to share one little story real quick, and I'm going to not be able to give- Get all the, the time you want, the right. I, I got tons of time. <laughs> Who has dinner reservations? <laughs> the beauty of having a microphone. <laughs> but I think there's a company years ago that worked with Larry and with us, and they came out to an installation. They were super excited about what Ninja was and everything. And, and he went home and took us all the agents into the main conference room 
And he basically showed the clip from, uh, what is it, Morpheus? What is it? It's the, the uh, Matrix. The Matrix, where basically he had to pick between the red and the blue pill. So what he did is he brought them all up. I'm butchering the whole thing. It's okay. Movie knowledge, just in general, I'm shocked. That's great. So I'm happy you're acknowledging it. This is good. So basically shows the clip of when he has to pick the red or the blue pill. And the way the story goes is I think that you pick the red pill and everything stays the same. You pick the blue pill and you're going to see things you've never seen before. You're going to be able to experience life in a way you've never experienced life, but you'll never be able to go back. And so brings all of his agents into the office, shows the clip, says, all right. He goes, I want you to turn around right now. There's two bowls of M&Ms on the back table. Pick the red one. Everything will stay the same. Pick the blue one. You're going to see things. You're going to grow in a way you've never grown. Everybody went to the back. He said, red on this side, blue on this side. Turned to the red and said, you're all excused. And they thought they could leave the meeting. And he says, there's boxes in the back of the room. You're welcome to go pack up all your stuff. You are dismissed. And fired some of his top producers like let some of the best people in his company go. And everybody was like, what are we going to do? How are we going to make up what these guys were doing for production? Like we're in serious trouble. And if I remember correctly and talking to Larry, it was less than six months. They had actually increased their production up to make up for all the people that had left. And then it was bringing in true players and true people that were resonating with the company. But that was aggressive. He came back and told Larry that. I remember Larry going, you did what? (laughs) That's not what I wanted to show the video for. But it it obviously made an impact. Yeah, that's wow. That is. So there you go. That's old school. Yeah. I mean, I like that. That's a great way to do it. So I think we got maybe a couple more questions on this list. And then maybe we can take a couple questions from people. And then we can move into some mortgage questions. I like this one. This one messes with your mindset sometimes. But uh, long-term nurtures, getting out of your old, you know, your own way on that stuff. This is a lot of questions, but I'm going to combine it all into one because I think this speaks to flow, finding your own unique voice and video and, and some ideas on that stuff. So, cause I think that plays to long-term nurtures. So you have these people who enter your world, maybe they're a warm list or a hot and confused list. I mean, how many people have had people say they want to move to Charleston and that was five years ago? And they're still not here. Oh, I forget that not everybody's from Charleston. Move to wherever you want to be. And it's been years, right? And we still got to take care of those people. I think the first thing is making sure you have a really good auto flow program, right? Because if, if people aren't ready yet, we don't have to constantly ask them if they are ready. But we do want to continue to ready provide now? value. Are you, are you ready now? Are you ready now? Are you now? Well, so how many times do you follow up with an open house lead? Like, hey, you came and visited us at 123 Main Street. Are you still interested in that property? It sold two years ago, but are you still interested? I get a text every single month from Brookings, Oregon, because I just wanted to see the house next door. And they're still like... How long ago was that? Uh, like two years ago. <laughs> are you still interested in this house? No. I'm so I like, I'm finally like, okay, do I, do I hit stop? Like, what do I do to get you to leave me alone? Yeah. So don't do that. No, don't do that. <laughs> Good auto flow program is where I'd start. And that opens up video. Like, how do you get comfortable with video? I think you don't need to worry about getting comfortable with video because... You do it every day in person, right? This is an in-person business. So whether you have this thing pointed at you or you don't, you don't need to be different. How that said, I get it. My first time that I did a video, it was really bad. I still have it. The one that I officially sent out, actually. I don't have all the practice tries. You want to see that one, don't you? I, I definitely want to see that one. But you just start doing these things, right? So if you come from a place of providing value, those long-term nurtures are going to stick around. They're going to see you as a trusted advisor. They're going to see you get better with the video. They're going to see all that stuff come through. That's a great part of it. You really did combine two questions. There's long-term nurturing people, and then there's comfortable with video. And then getting out of your own way is the middle part. Getting out of your own way. Okay, so I'm going to combine the video and getting out of your own way which is if you want to get into doing videos, which I think there is tremendous value in sharing through video. I think that it is a great way for people to see your personality to come through. I think it freaks people out to have to watch themselves on a video. Many times I have recorded myself and I like go to look at it and it's just like delete and you start over again and you delete and you start over again where many times I've just recorded something and it's just kind of gone out there. And people are like, that was so great what you shared. And I'm like, if I would have had like to overthought it myself, it would have never seen the light of day. I'm also a big believer in record and record and record 
and just save information. Just start putting it out there. If you went and recorded something every single day, what Jerry Seinfeld wrote a joke every single day. And you look at him and you go like, man, he just creates content. Jokes are just flowing out of him. Every single day he wrote a joke and then took that joke and put it into a notebook and moved on with his day. And sure enough, we look at him as one of the greatest comedians that ever lived. I think you just need to create, you just need to put it out there. If that's something that you have as a passion of yours, believe me, if video is not a passion of yours, don't do it. Go find something else to do. Don't try to force something that doesn't need to exist. Going to the long-term nurturing, especially in certain marketplaces, like I have like a Charleston or if I look at, I think anything you can do to promote the lifestyle of what it means to live in that area that you want somebody moving to that is your number one goal. Uh, if you're looking at moving to Reading, I might be updating you on when houseboating season starts. I might be updating you on when the river activities are going on. I might be updating you on the first snow. We just had, Justin, how much snow did we just have? We got a foot and a half of snow at our mountain, which is a mountain that notoriously is dirt. So it's like, I think like you start throwing that stuff and talking about, because we're 45 minutes from Reading and you're up skiing. And last weekend I was on the lake and there were people wakeboarding. You start sharing that stuff and you start getting people to dream about what that lifestyle is of being there. And all of a sudden you have people that have the motivation of more so than just that dream of I wanted to move to Charleston. And it connects with their why, right? Connects Talk with, about like, the oysters. If you want me to move here, just send me pictures of our oysters and I'll be like, all right, I'm in. Yeah, there you go. I like it. Well, why don't we just, if people have some general questions here and then we can move into some mortgage stuff, what do you think? I'm up for whatever... The audience would. Does like. anybody have any questions? And if and if you want to ask a question, you can. You're gonna to have to share my microphone because apparently our device, because I didn't never done this before, doesn't turn on a microphone after we hit record. So. And the minute I borrow share a microphone, I spill drinks and stuff. Yeah, so you can't share anymore. Yeah. Does anybody have a question that you want to ask? No, we covered it all. There's nothing else on your mind about Ninja. We did, we the did that good of a job, is what happened. Chad's got a question. All right, Chad. You're your your full name up to the point. Your, your market as well. Uh, my name is Chad Collins. I'm in the Greensboro, North Carolina market. So one of the things that I struggle with is bringing authenticity to my practice, right? So in that authenticity and being genuine and all of that, what do you guys recommend on how to hang your flag out of who you are, but also be re professional, respectful, and doing all the things that you're supposed to do? Good question. You get to start. Don't worry about all that last stuff you just said about being professional and all that kind of stuff. Seriously. It sounds weird to say that, but if what you're trying to create is conflicting with who you are and want to share, then don't worry about that. Right? Who's your audience? People will connect with you and who you want to be. And I think what we find is like, however we are is our authentic self, right? If we want to ask like, hey, what's, what's my authentic self? Just go ask somebody and they'll tell you. The video they showed in the installation today, I think was really awesome with the FBI guy doing the drawings. And so for those of you listening, this is a video, which is an FBI forensic sketch artist, and he would draw people as they describe themselves and then as how somebody else described them. And everybody described themselves way, I guess, uglier and like less of than who they were. And when they were described by somebody else who had just met them, it was beautiful. And it was almost an identical match to actually who they are. And so that's where I would start is like, don't be afraid to be who you are and share that. And I think this goes, we, we talked about the dress up episode recently and we kind of touched on like, but dress however you are. There was somebody who commented and said, well, my market's super casual. And I was like, yeah, well then be casual there. You know, you got to be who you are and that's the best way to do it. And it's amazing when you flip that switch, you see so much. So, and I know I'm droning on here for a second, doing but great. I'm since today is election day too, a lot of people say, what are the top things we avoid when we're in real estate, right? Politics is one. Religion. Is there anything else that we avoid? Sex. Who said that? Well, unless, <laughs> unless you're... Uh... That was not Matt, by the way. Matt was repeating the audience. <laughs> unless you're in Australia. Um, has anybody ever seen some really interesting property marketing videos from some guys in Australia? They're very provocative. So religion and politics are the big ones. But I say, like, don't limit those things in a way that stops you from being who you are, right? There's plenty of realtors who run for political office. There's plenty of realtors who are very, very active in their religions, whatever it is. 
And that should be okay for them. I think you can be a very political realtor if you want to, because again, if that is what your core belief is, that's who you are, surround yourself with a tribe that sings the same song and runs down the same path. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of it's the beauty of ninja. It's the beauty of building relationships with people that know you, like you, and trust you. We do need to be a chameleon as you're growing and you're building your business. But I think the more authentic you can be to yourself, you know, let that out. And Matt, as you started with the FBI sketcher, it got me thinking about art. So if you think about like Picasso, Picasso wasn't trying to be anybody to anybody and try to say, well, what will the, the audience like to see? He did paintings for himself. Uh, you take any famous, famous artist, they did paintings for themselves, for what was inside their heart, what they were trying to get out. And what people did is they responded to it and they loved it. And I'm never going to have a Picasso painting in my house. I don't like them. I don't understand them. They don't resonate with me. I do have all other crazy art in my house that maybe nobody would ever want to have in their house. But that Garrett's daughter is laughing. right I'm now. I'm getting laughed at. <laughs> I'm getting laughed at by people. It doesn't matter if Aaron but started laughing. That, like Jocelyn was laughing too. You're resonating with people <laughs> that that are putting out what you have to offer, and I think that that's what I would say to people: is don't try to conform to everybody. Because I coach a lot of people that are out there, and they're loud, and they are a little brass, and they share a lot of crazy opinions. And it's amazing; some of them are the most powerful realtors that I know. To the point that I've even had people that I've said. They've said, hey, do you have somebody for this marketplace? And I'm like, I do have somebody for that marketplace. And they're like, not the person that swears all the time. I can't take the F word ever again. And it's like, okay, she obviously pushed people out of her market that she's going to do business with. She also did $2 million in GCI last year. So it's like, well, who am I to tell her not to swear? And she swears a lot, but it works. So I think that's where you need to figure that out. And I should probably mention Jen Egbert, and that's who it is in... Uh, Mile High Modern in Boulder. She owns herself better than anybody I've ever seen. And again, just is out there and in your face about that. And she's very vocal. But again, that's her people know her as that. I couldn't get away with it. Not me. Love it. That answer that question? It was a good question, Chad. That is a really great question. A lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people do. Well, we try to conform to everybody. And if you try to serve everybody, you end up serving nobody. Well, very small group. All right. Any other questions before we move into mortgage stuff? All right, Mark, come on up. You got to share a mic with me. I just have a quick take on the authenticity thing. Because I think we get caught up in what that means. And it's like, to be yourself all the time. I take it as a little bit of a different way. And when I explain this to my team, I explain it very differently too. Are you a good realtor? Do you know your market? Do you do the homework? Do you do the research? Do you go the extra mile? Do you deliver value? And what I mean by value is delivering more than people expect consistently. Because McDonald's delivers value for $7 and Ruth's Chris delivers value for $200, but they both have good business models because both are delivering more than people expect for the price. And so when you think about being authentic, it doesn't matter. I mean, maybe you're doing certain people with politics or religion or whatever it is, but people will come around to those things if you're just really good at what you do. And so when I think about being authentic as a sales leader, as a mortgage person, what I really think of is making sure I'm putting in the work to be the best at what I do. So that being authentic is delivering the most value. And then the rest of it takes care of itself. And so when I, when I read Bob Berg's book, The Go-Giver, and I talk about the law of authenticity, I don't think of it as being myself freely all the time, although you want to be you. And what I really mean is I put in the work so that when I show up every day, the most authentic version of me is the expert is the person doing the best job, is the person who's most likely to sell this house the fastest, most likely to help this person find the right house for the right price. And if you're that person authentically, the rest of it will take care of itself. That was great. That was great. We got some fun mortgage questions. So we're now joined by Mark and Nicole Gordon, Princeton Mortgage. Thanks again for hosting us here. And we're going to move into some questions about mortgages that also came in here as I reload my list because it there it is. All right. So the big topic is interest rates, right? I've heard something that's going on with that. <laughs> There's a little talk on the street about something Something's going rates. on with interest rates. So one of the questions we have is how, as a realtor, do we talk about interest rates with our clients? You know, There's the famous date the rate, marry the house kind of thing. 
which we've talked about. How should a realtor talk about interest rates right now? No, it's a broad question. The same way that mortgage people do, which is to talk about monthly payment, right? And so interest rate is, it's a huge deal that interest rates are as high as they are. But at the end of the day, people either want that house and can afford that house no differently than they would buy anything else or make any other buying decision in their lives. The only difference here is, is that it's likely that this house is about to get a whole lot cheaper over the next 24 months because these people are going to get to refinance. And so, listen, do we know that rates are going to go down? No. Is it possible this is the lowest rates ever get? Sure. But then they're going to be really happy they bought right now, right? But all likelihood is, and every expert I've seen is predicting that rates by the end of next year, including Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the National Association of Realtors, we're looking at around 5%, a little over 5, 5% by the end of next year. Great. So if you can afford the house today, imagine how psyched you're going to be about it at the end of the year. Right. And so then there are other product options. We have adjustable rate mortgages. We have two one buy downs, one zero buy downs that can temporarily lower monthly payments. And that might be an option for some people. But if it's not, the answer is this if that's where you want to live and that's the right house for you and you can afford the payment today, don't overthink it. Anyone I've ever met who tried to time the market eventually lost. Right. And where you're going to live is not about timing the market, it's about where you see your family, where you see your kids growing up and those other things. And so, yes, you need to be able to afford it 100%. And if you can't afford it, then you got to wait. But if you can afford that house, that's really all that matters right now. And we know that it's very likely that this thing you're buying is about to get a whole lot cheaper. And Mark, I'll throw in, I think the people that are the waiting for the right time or trying to time the market, those are the people that probably look back on their life with the biggest regrets of, I wish we would have just done it. I joked around the podcast a while back about remodeling my kitchen. And there's so much of me that says, I wish I would have just done it five years ago. Of course, everybody. And so it's one of those things like, would have been expensive back then? Yes. But I look at like, now that my kids are like moving off to college and stuff, wouldn't it have been nice to have some memories like in a really nice remodel kitchen that we're not holding together with glue? Jocelyn loves our kitchen right now. By the way, if they were good at timing the market, they'd have bought two years ago. Clearly, this is not your strong suit. (laughs) Let's go right now. Timing the market is always never possible. So you mentioned adjustable rate mortgages, Mark. And Nicole, you talk to people about mortgages every day. And so one of the questions that came in too is like, what do we talk about for adjustable rates? And how do we explain 2-1 buy-downs as a realtor, the pros and cons of doing an ARM versus you know one of the best products that exists in the world, a 30-year fixed? Absolutely. So The arms, we're not actually seeing a true arm, traditional arm that you think of as an arm. We're not really seeing the pricing, I think, make as much sense as it would have historically. If I were buying, I would be still going with a 30-year if those were my two options. And I definitely wouldn't be buying down the rate right now because my anticipation is the rates are going to either stay here or slightly come down. Hopefully a little bit more than slightly so we can all refi. <laughs> um, but the 2-1 buy down is huge right now because it's, it's not an arm. And I think that that's the biggest misconception and people don't really understand what it is when they're talking to their clients or even when mortgage people are talking to real estate agents, they think it's an adjustable rate. So they get nervous because people get nervous about arms. It's not. It's a 30-year fixed and your seller or the builder is covering your interest for the first year or two, whatever that buy-down period is. So let's say the rate is 7.5% on a 30-year fixed right now. That's what they qualify for. The first year, it's going to be 5.5%. The second year, it's going to be 6.5%. And then year three through 30, it's the 7.5%. Whatever the interest is that the buyer is saving over those first two years, the seller or the builder or you are coming out of pocket as a, as a credit at closing. And that's a true savings to the buyer. So it's huge. And when you're buying down a rate, anything you pay at closing in points is lost. So if rates come down to 4%, 3% again, and you go to refi in a year, you lose all that money that you paid to get your rate for 30 years. Whereas on the two, one or one year buy down, anything the seller or the builder put out for you, you get a credit back when you go to refi as a principal reduction. So it's huge. It makes so much sense especially right now when houses are sitting on the market right now. Houses were sitting in Charleston for 72 hours and people were nervous. Did we overprice? Like, what's happening here? Oh my gosh, we don't have 27 offers right now. And now it's like somebody's sitting for a month and they're very, very nervous and they're talking about price reductions. The best thing to do is talk to your buyer about not reducing the price and offering whatever you would. It's usually less than what you'd offer in a price reduction, 
but as a seller credit to do the two one buy down because that's really where you're going to see the most savings as a buyer. That's the best product out there right now. <laughs> I thought it was interesting before we were recording tonight and you were talking about like, don't buy down the rate right now. Because in my mind, that's where I was actually kind of going here for the last couple of weeks and looking at what everything was going on. I was like, oh, you can buy down the rate. There was a part of me that was going like, I could see parents helping kids buy down the rate. And then all of a sudden, the way you said it, I was like, oh my gosh, like, no, like, don't do that because it literally is money you will never see again if that rate decides to come down and you want to refinance, it's, it's gone. Yep, absolutely. Very interesting. So just to like confirm too, that money that gets put towards that, a 2-1 buy down, that goes into escrow or something. And so if they sell, if there's money still left in that, they get that back. Yes. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, if the payment's $3,000 a month and they're paying $2,500 a month, the other $500 a month that they should be paying for that full rate is just coming out of whatever that little kitty is from the seller. That's awesome. That's That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a really nice product. So she said a little kitty. I don't know why I said that. I don't even talk like that. Actually, you do. do. I'm very nervous. (laughs) (laughs) This is my authentic self. (laughs) Do you have anything else you want to share? No, no, no. All right. Next question. (laughs) So that gets into like a closing cost discussion, right? Because a lot of builders are offering a lot of incentives right now. A lot of like, hey, we'll pay this much towards your closing costs. We'll buy your rate down to this. You'll do a lot of those things. So how does a reseller, somebody who's selling their home compete on that? And like, what are the, the rules of like max seller concessions and things like that? Because like what they can contribute towards a two, one buy down. (laughs) <laughs> rate buy down. First, I'll say the rules are the same and Nicole can kind of go into some of the details on that, but it's either, you know, usually either a 6% cap or a 3% cap, depending on the loan program and the down payment that you're putting down. But in terms of competing, normally don't think of it as a direct competition. Basically, I'm not a realtor. Maybe it is that way, but I, I will say that. So if you're doing a, a government, like an FHA loan, it's a 6% seller cap that you can offer as a credit, which 6% of a sales price in a lot of cases is a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot. Unconventional, it can be 6% if someone's putting 10% down, but normally if they're putting 10% down, they're less worried about that that credit. So then it's 3% if they're putting less than 10% down, right? So if you're doing a 5% down conventional mortgage, you can get a 3% seller's credit. Otherwise, more than 10%, it's 6%. But yeah, this is the best way to save people money up front right now, which is the most important. And again, Listen, we could be wrong, but we're living in a world where we're assuming that rates will come down at some point over the next two years and people will be able to refinance. And so rather than using that money traditionally, what you do, which are discount points, like Garrett mentioned before, by putting this money in this escrow, having a large interest reduction over the first two years, that's the best way to make the monthly payment affordable and get somebody attracted to buying your house. It's pretty awesome. That's awesome. What should a realtor do to set a seller up for success so that they can offer out that with clarity to the buying public. So they can put it on a listing saying seller is offering X, Y, Z. Absolutely. So there are a couple of different things that we've been doing. There's an easy calculator. We can send it out. I don't think we've I've been able to Google one, but we can definitely email one out to everybody. I'll email one to Matt and he can get it out. But there's an easy calculator to figure out what the concession would be. You can use like 8% as the rate for right now as worst case scenario. And then whatever you think the purchase price would be, I've been using 5% down, you know, instead of the 20% so you can max out. And then what agents are doing is just putting in seller is willing to contribute as a seller credit up to X, $15,000 towards a 2-1 buy down. So then it gives you a little bit of wiggle room. So you're you're not saying my seller is giving you $15,000. You have that wiggle room if they're going to utilize that particular product. Now, maybe you're always going to give the $15,000 or some sort of credit, but you have negotiating power there for that. And it's really just almost like a trigger term to get them more interested, especially for the buyers who it really makes a difference for. So just really writing that out. And we've been putting together templates and emailing them out to agents on what to put in the notes, you know, the hidden notes that we didn't know about because you can't see them on the MLS. Thanks, Marley. (laughs) (laughs) We found out there are hidden notes. So we have lots of stuff that you guys, suggestions for what to put in them. But yeah, just really explaining it and how helping the list agent sell the buyers at an open house. Hey, you should mention this. We're willing to do this. Or I mean, the buyer's agent. Hey, you should sell your client on this, on this particular property in this way. And giving them that verbiage is really helpful. Well, I think that's great too, because when you look at the difference of like a seller offering $15,000 in closing costs, credits to do something, 
makes a much bigger impact to a buyer on their monthly payment versus reducing the price $15,000. Absolutely. It's not even close. Yep. I mean, then that's huge, right? And I think that's what a lot of sellers, you know, could potentially be missing. So my daughter, Victoria, is back with snacks, which is awesome. Cutest podcast we've ever done, just so you know. (laughs) It's a low bar. (laughs) Early in the podcast days... This was like when we were first recording. You remember my other office that we had? There, were, We did do a couple podcasts with Victoria sleeping in her little car seat when she was months old on the podcast. And every now and then you heard her. But now she's three and a half. That's crazy. Yeah. Aw. So time plus. another question that came up is assuming a mortgage, which I know can only be done with certain products, which not as popular here in Charleston. But in some markets, there's a lot of VA loans maybe a lot of FHA loans and buyers who qualify for that. So is there anything like special that we need to know about assuming mortgage or maybe anything you want to talk about? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, the biggest problem you have is that the servicer has to cooperate and they don't have to on the FHA side. So I see a little bit more of it on the VA side, but even that is difficult. It's one of those things that like, yes, in this market, it'd be great. Not great for me and my business, but I understand the benefits of the buyers and if more houses get sold, then there's more people buying. And so, you know, I'd be in favor of that. But the reality is that the servicer themselves don't have to transfer that. You have the mortgage itself, but then you also have a, a promissory note that people are, are signing that they're going to repay that loan. And so while it is allowed by the VA and FHA to do that, the servicer essentially has to agree to do it. And that's not always the case. Yep. Usually not the case. We've been in this industry for almost 18. I've been in this industry for almost 18 years. And when people start asking me about assumable mortgages, I've reached out to everybody I know in the industry and it's like a unicorn. Yes, VA loans can be assumed, but nobody's doing that right now. Nobody wants to assume when they need to be making 7% interest right now or whatever, VA, what, six and an eighth, a 3%. I don't think I heard of assumable. If you look at a true assumable loan, I mean, we're going back to when like interest rates were crazy high and Mm -hmm. they were trying to figure out how to make the kind of mortgage market work. I think that's when assumables like really actually showed up. Yep. And we're just not there yet. Like it's just not not something that anybody has to compete with. So yeah. We may see a ton of assumable mortgages at 7% when all of a sudden the rates are 3%. (laughs) Mark's no comment. (laughs) I think the intention for assumable mortgages was a really good idea. I think in practice, it's hard to execute and there's not a lot of incentive for the private institutions to cooperate with it. Yep. Does anybody have any questions while we have Mark and Nicole up here with us right now? Does anybody have any questions they want to throw at the mortgage world? This is not for the listeners out there. This is for the people in the room. (laughs) If you're sitting in your car raising your hand, I apologize, but this has already taken place. (laughs) I'm also willing to answer fantasy football questions. (laughs) There you go. Or any other ninja questions? I mean, for those of you who listen to the podcast, you heard our conversation with Mark and what he's done with Ninja here inside Princeton Mortgage. So any other questions in general about mortgage, Ninja, or anything like that? Well, I do have one question because there was a question on here and I'm glad you're here, Nicole, because one of the questions was about eight and eights and you guys do like a four and four, but you do it really well. So I want to ask you, how did you develop your your four-week touch program of what you're doing and how what have you seen from it? Well, Mark and Rich really are the brains behind it. Well, really, Larry is the brains behind it. (laughs) We're really good at stealing stuff. (laughs) But our team, Kate and I are really, we've kind of like done trial and error and we've even tweaked a little bit what Princeton Mortgage is doing because everybody's personality is different. And I think every market is a little bit different. Charleston is an incredible place right now for people to be going out and meeting people. So our first touch is always the collision. And then from there, we make it really personalized. We have a cadence that, you know, that we're following. We do the note card. Absolutely. They're added to our CRM. We're following them on social media. We are sending emails that are templates that we can then go and tweak. And then we are putting notes in the CRM about anything personal for these people. So the, the next things that we're doing for them is a gift of some sort something small. And then that's in addition to the traditional cadence that we're doing with the cookie that we send out and then the three postcards, which change for us. We've been changing them kind of regularly. We have one that's Charleston related that goes out almost like a newsletter. And then we have two others that are, you know, just industry related, but we keep them pretty updated 
Um, so we tweak them almost quarterly. I think we're tweaking them right now. How long have you been doing this program for? In some capacity since... I literally was building out tech when I joined Princeton. I mean, I've been in the industry market. I've owned mortgage companies. I was building out our CRM and our LOS. And I watched a loan officer that worked for Princeton in New Jersey follow Ninja Mortgage. And I'm like, why am I sitting in my house doing this COVID hit? And I'm like, I need to just be selling loans and meeting agents. And so I've been doing it for three years now. So when it comes to the touch program that you created, the marketing program that you created, obviously it's worked. It's not been something that was like, let's just try this. Oh, we're supposed to be doing it. Let's just continue to do it because that's what we should be doing. What has been the impact that you've seen by having that system work for you? It's incredible. So I was not selling before. And when I was selling previously at previous mortgage companies that we owned, it was all lead buys. We were buying leads and calling leads. And it was in New Jersey. We moved here four and a half years ago and I knew zero people here. We moved here because of the beach, not because of family or friends or college or anything. We knew zero people here. And now any relationship that I have is based on the beginnings of the eight by eight is what we had started with. Yeah. It's incredible. I, I love I, it. I actually got to experience a little bit of it because we met yep. through social media initially and then figured out we had a lot in common. And then we met in person and there was a handwritten note and there was a cookie and there was all this stuff. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Nicole's a ninja. And it was just a really cool thing to experience because I never had the benefit of experiencing an eight by eight or there was a four touch at that point, I believe. And it just felt really cool. I was like, this is awesome. I met like a new friend and like, this is really nice. So for those of you who are thinking about doing an eight and eight or any number of touches, eight and eight, the, the name comes from eight touches over eight weeks. So you can chop that up however you want. It's not a piece of lumber. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to send. Do you imagine? Just start sending just huge planks of wood to people. Like, I don't understand. It's not working. I don't get it. It's an eight by eight. <laughs> it might work. <laughs> It will definitely be memorable. Just a big stamp on it, branded to your company. Right from Matt and Garrett. I think people will start listening. I think it'd be awesome. You just got to develop some touch points and, and start doing it, which I think is great. Absolutely. Can I just point out one thing that I might become an enemy by even bringing this up, so I'm sorry, but one of the things that <laughs> Mark's staring at me like, what are you about to say? Where are you going? Where is this going? No. So one of the things when we were talking about like, what do you say to certain consumers? What do you talk to, you know, say to certain buyers that are nervous about this, this market right now? We are so transparent. My counterpart over there. There are people in this market right now that it does not make sense for them to buy and sell. If they are in a home that they've owned for years and they have a 3% or 2.5% or 3.5% rate, and they're going to go buy in the same area just because an upgrade, a want, not for a relocation or a real need, I would not recommend them actually buy. I wouldn't do it myself. So I think it's really important to pay attention to the clients and not get frustrated when you're like, oh, this is my client base and these are the people that are not moving anymore. Great. Be their friend, be their therapist, be there for when they're ready to move on and then go find a new lead source right now. Go find the first time home buyers, the investors where it may still make sense, all the relos, go talk to all the, the elementary schools, all the daycares in town where people might be relocating. Daycares, gyms, anything that you would need to find out about when you're moving to a new location would be the places to start, I would recommend, especially if you're in this Charleston area where people are reloading. To go meet those people and find out, hey, how can I meet these people that need to be here and then focus on them and just be super transparent and honest with the people because they will come back to you because they'll really trust you. Well, Nicole, I hate to piggyback on what you said, all the examples that you used of like the little things that they want. If we talk about true life changes that people are dealing with, there are the real life changes that it's not just the easy want. It's not just the like, oh, we want a bigger kitchen or we want this. Yep. Wouldn't it be nice if we had, you know, an extra bathroom? Like there's the people that really need to buy or sell right now. And if you can surround yourself and find those people and help create those people. But I truly I agree with you that there's some people you need to say, this is not your marketplace right now. Like just calm down, hang out. But it all goes back to how well you asking questions, how well you listening to them helping guide them. So. Yeah. Build a different eight by eight for them. Your nurture campaign that you went back to before, that you mentioned before, move them all into your CRM, group them separately and nurture them until the rates drop. <laughs> that, and that's a, that was one listed as one of the cases for 
approaching towards zero inventory, which was a study that came out. And actually, we've seen it happen in Charleston. Listing activity has slowed down because there are those people where it doesn't make sense, right? And that's going to happen, and that's totally okay. So you're not going to make any enemies there. You're going to make friends because you're going to save people time. That's a good thing. So any other things, Mark, you want to add anything? I think you guys are awesome. I'm so happy we got to do this. I think what Larry and Ninja have built is uh, changing our industry and continues to bring the best people forward. And I'm just so grateful that you guys chose us to do this with and get to meet all these amazing people. And, you know, Ninja brought us to you, right? And it brought us to all these other people and some people that work with us. Just very grateful. So thanks for letting us be a part of it. Thank you. Thank thanks you for guys. hosting us. We love this. Well, and thank you everybody for coming. This is great. I think almost everybody's still here. Maybe some people had to go through dinner reservations. Thanks so much, everybody, for coming out. This is an awesome turnout. Thank you all for coming. And thank you all for listening. As always, we appreciate you. And if you want to learn more about our podcast Facebook group, head over to facebook.com slash group slash The Ninja Selling Podcast, or just search The Ninja Selling Podcast on Facebook. Join our community there, which... Definitely is over 10,000 people by now. Must be. Definitely. Um, So thank you, everybody. We'll catch you on the next one. Appreciate you very much. Take care. Thanks, everybody. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like more, visit us at theninjasellingpodcast.com. There you will also find links for more information about ninja selling and coaching. Have an incredible day.